Folks, you know that I'm an expositional teacher. That is, I go through books of the Bible. So we have been going through the book, the letter to the Philippians. And I've entitled this look through the letter of Philippians, Living Beneath the Surface. Now, I really believe that this series of messages, this series going through Philippians, is just what you and I need for this point in our lives with Jesus Christ. Because we have to, really, as our culture is changing, as the church is changing, when I say church, I'm talking about the American church is changing, you really have to make a decision. The decision is, is do you want to live in the same old way same humdrum Christianity, not expecting anything when you come to church, just doing it out of obligation. Is that what you want for your Christianity, or do you want something more? In fact, that's why I called it living beneath the surface. The question is, do you want to live on the surface where it's at with no expectation, or do you want to get beneath the surface where you sense and see God working in your life? And that's what we've been talking about. And everything has been really kind of, as we're going through this letter, has been kind of helping us to see that until now we come to verse 10 of chapter 3, where Paul is going to express his primary desire. Now, what do you mean by that, George? Well, you're going to see what motivates him. You're going to see what motivates him in life. See, all of us here, whether you realize it or not, are motivated by something. You have a reason why you get up out of bed in the morning, right? Well, I got a lot to do, or mama said I had to be here this morning. Uh, something motivated you, right? You're motivated by something. And, and usually when there's a lack of motivation and you don't want to get out of bed, we usually say that people are what? Depressed. But something motivated you. You're motivated by life in some way. So some of you are motivated by workaholism. You just got to strive to be the best at whatever you are at work. Some of you are motivated by your children. I mean, we could go on. You're motivated. Some of you, these last week and this week coming up, because you haven't gotten anything, are motivated in hopes that there's still something out there with antlers. Right? And you want him because you want to win the big buck contest at church and get that $25 gift card to Grice's. Not sure what it'll buy, but you want it. You're motivated by something. See, you're motivated by some reason for being here today. What we're going to see is Paul's primary desire. Why is he doing what he's doing? And I'm hoping that as we look at it, it will give you a different perspective because here's the thing. I would have to say 2,000 years since Paul, we've clouded our minds concerning what church is and what church is about. What do you mean, George? Well, you know, I, 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 I've spent a lot of time studying and in education and some of my training has been about administering and pastoring a church which is a good thing because I'm a pastor. I should have training, right? Well, 
What I've learned in the past is, is that churches have different emphases. They, they can emphasize a certain thing. So you have some churches, they're called body life churches, where, where that's where they emphasize spirituality. Then you have some churches that are, that are called evangelistic churches, and that's really the focus of the whole church is to evangelize. And then you have some churches that they're called mission churches, what do you mean by that? Well, when you go to that church, they got flags hanging around everywhere. They got, they got pictures of their missionaries and, and they're always talking about sending the gospel out to the world. And that's their emphasis. And so you've got all kinds of churches with all kinds of different emphases. And it's almost like when you see that, it's like Christianity is where you fit and what you want to be for yourself. And I'm going to tell you something. I've realized as I've gotten older, and especially as I've been studying through this message here, through this letter, that that's all wrong. That's not what it's about. All those things come out of what's primary. There's actually something that's more primary. And we've forgotten what the primary is. And I'm, I'm going to submit to you today because it's, it's really a scary thing happening in the North American church. We really are looking at declining numbers in our church. We're looking at a certain age group, 18 to 30-year-olds, who once they reach 18 and 30, they leave and they never come back. There is a reason why that's going on. And it's because the primary desire is missing in our churches. And so we figured out, well, maybe we need to change our music. Or maybe we need to change the way we dress the church. Or maybe we need to change this or change that and change our emphases and, and, and all of these things. And to be honest with you, churches are doing that, but nothing's changing. We still got just as many people leaving as before. And they're walking away. And I'll tell you why, because we haven't really opened up to something that's primary. So let me just kind of say, okay, George, all of this, help me to make sense of what you're saying here, something that's primary, and this is the reason why all this is happening. Well, let me help you to make sense. I want you to listen to me. Remember now, we started out in chapter 3 with Paul warning his readers, beware of dogs, mutilators of the flesh. What he was talking about there, remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He was talking about beware of people that would rob you of what is true in the church, the gospel. That would rob you of an understanding of your relationship with Jesus. And the very next thing, we talked about this last week, he talks about how people place their confidence in things that are meaningless. And he at one time, he went through a whole list of stuff, was putting his confidence in a whole bunch of other stuff that was meaningless. His upbringing, his religious heritage, his religious actions, his knowledge, and all of that. And he was showing that all of that is just rubbish. It's like the dump in Brockway. It's that much garbage. And that actually what he should be striving for was something more than that. The relationship with Jesus. Now, when I say that, everyone here will say, well, you know, yeah, I've got a relationship with Jesus. I pray and you know what, George, I, you know, that's why I'm here, because, you know, I've got to relate. When you get saved, you enter into a relationship. Yeah, wonderful. 
But what kind of relationship do you have? What's the depth of it? What is, what is the depth of it? Because what we're going to see here is, is that for you to truly understand that all that other stuff is meaningless, you've got to truly understand what's available to you. And that's where we come to these two verses today, verse 10 and 11. Let me read them to you. And then we're going to look exactly at what he's saying here. Look with me, verse 10 and 11 of chapter 3. He says... Now, this is the new King James. The King James reads the same way. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's, that's what the new King James says. That's what the King James says. I, I like what the NIV says. Here's what the NIV says. You know, the New King James, that I may know him. Here's what the NIV says. I want to know Jesus. See, that's what we're going to talk about here today. We're going to talk about the primary desire. And for Paul, the primary motivation for him was is that he wanted to know Jesus. He wanted to know him. Now, as we go through these verses, you're going to see how that will transform your Christian life if you truly understand it. Because it's probably going to blow open your mind on some things that you've been told that really shouldn't happen, but I want you to see what it's saying here. And we're going to do it in several ways. Number one, we're going to look at what true knowledge is, because that word know, what does that mean? We're going to look at true knowledge, and then we're going to look at the desire, and his desire is expressed in four ways. He's expressing the one desire in four ways. We're going to see what that means. And then we're going to see the purpose. Why must that motivate us? And when you grasp these three things I'm going to bring to you, hopefully it's going to transform you. Because there is something powerful in these two verses that you need to grasp, and hopefully it will affect your Christian life. Listen to me. First of all, the issue of knowledge. Look at what he says. That I may know him. Or what the, what the NIV says, I want to know him. So the first thing is this. Paul is expressing a desire that is more than just knowing facts. Paul is expressing a desire that is more than just knowing facts. See, here's the thing I want you to understand. Whether you realize it or not, our English language is a little bit limited. So when I have the word no, that could mean anything. So like, for instance, I used to be an engineering student, and at one time, when I was up on it, I understood I knew calculus, and I knew physics, and I knew chemistry. Now, don't ask me any of that now. 30-some years later, I've forgotten all that. But at one time, I knew that. And when I said I knew that, you know what I mean by the word no there. You knew, you knew that what I knew was a bunch of facts. I knew facts about chemistry and calculus and, and physics. I knew that, right? Okay? So, for instance, that's an aspect of knowing. I know facts. So, okay, so like here we have Rob, my friend Rob. We were hunting yesterday. 
I know Rob. Right? Now, you could say, well, that's a little bit different knowledge, George. That's an experiential knowledge because he's your friend. Right? I know Rob. Well, I also know Lori. That's experiential, right? Now, let me just stop for a moment. My knowledge of Lori, is that different than my knowledge of Rob? I'm her husband. I should be, right? Do you understand? So our language uses the same word, no. Now, what is this being expressed here in this word that I may know him or I want to know him? Paul is saying he's not interested in just knowing a bunch of facts about Jesus. Now, let me just stop for a moment. That seems almost contrary to the way that we do church today, right? Because when we talk about doing church, we already announced it. We're having what? A men's Bible study, ladies' Bible study on Wednesday, a youth Bible study on Wednesday. We just had Sunday school. You're listening to a message. You're intaking a bunch of what? Information. And it seems that Christianity is based upon you knowing a lot of what? Stuff. Facts. But that's really not what Christianity is. Christianity isn't whether or not you can answer a Bible question. Christianity is a question of do you know somebody? Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul is expressing a desire that is more than just knowing facts. Here's what he wanted. He wanted to have a knowledge based upon personal experience. He wanted to know Jesus personally, intimately. That's what he's talking about here. I want to know Jesus. That's what the NIV says. He wanted to know him intimately. Like I would know Lori interacting. He wanted to have that kind of a relationship with Jesus. Now you say, okay, well, wait a minute, George, hold on a second. You know, you remember what he said in John? You know, in John he said to Thomas, Thomas, you believe because you see, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. For those of us without seeing, it's just a knowledge of facts. Wrong. God wants to interact in your life. Why was Paul driven by this desire? I think we can go all the way back to Acts. Several times in the book of Acts, you see where it's recorded where Jesus, the Lord himself, appeared to, to Paul and encouraged him. He had a relationship with God. He had a relationship with Jesus. You can have that same relationship. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I'm not saying that if you go home today, when you're sitting in your living room, Jesus is going to appear and have a conversation with you in your living room. If you find time to turn the game off, it's not going to happen. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is, is that you can have an intimate relationship with God in an intimate way that will blow your mind. 
Now, when I say that, here's the thing. Some of you are like, whoa, now you're getting to be a little bit like those TV guys, George. I'm not even talking about that. And I can understand why you're concerned, but I'm going to tell you right now, God's not asking something weird to happen to you. That's child's play. There's actually something so much more. It's called a relationship with the living God. It's having a true knowledge of him, of seeing him work in your life. That's more than just a knowledge of facts. I really couldn't care less, to be honest with you, how many Bible questions you can answer. I really couldn't care less how many doctrines you know. What I care is, is do you know someone? Did you understand what I'm saying? That's where Christianity is. That's what makes it warm and alive, is knowing someone, not knowing a bunch of facts. Have you ever noticed that eggheads are the most impersonal people to be around? We don't need a church filled with eggheads. We need a church filled with people who truly know who? Jesus. That's what true knowledge is. So let's talk about the desire. He's going to express it. What am I, should I be desiring? What should I be wanting? Well, let's look at what he desires here. It's expressed in four ways. First of all, he wanted to personally experience the relationship with Jesus Christ. He wanted to personally experience the relationship with Jesus Christ. He wanted to be with Jesus, to interact with him, to sense his love, to sense his acceptance, to sense all of that. You, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, I mean, I hate to, I mean, I don't hate, I, I need to express that, you know, like when I was dating Lori, I mean, and we were interested in each other, I would drop anything to be able to talk to her. Like, you're interrupting me? That's okay, just talk. Things have changed in 24 years now, right? Or, or, or I tell the boss at work, hey, I, I'll take that whatever to wherever it needs to be and drop by and see her on the way, you know? Why? Because I wanted to be with her. That's the kind of desire he's talking about here. He's saying the desire that he wants, the knowledge that he wants, is to personally know God in an intimate interaction every day. Is that where you're at? I'm going to tell you right now, if you're living on the surface, where it's just humdrum Christianity and boring and not sure, maybe this was the best option today, somebody brought you here, you weren't expecting anything, that's because, listen to me, that's because you don't truly understand this point he's making here, is that of knowing Jesus intimately. Because if you knew Jesus intimately, you would walk into the room and expect that, God, you brought me in here with this group of people for something for me today or for something for me to do. And you're expecting to see his hand. I'll give you an example. Yes, I'm the pastor. But there are some things that I know that I can't do. So, okay, everybody knows that George, would everybody agree with this, is not musical at all. Everybody agree with that? I mean, I got a beautiful lady in my house that plays guitar. I got a son, Foster, who plays guitar. I got Maddie, who plays violin. I have the Huds man who is on the drums. But I'm not like that. Now, Sawyer, he's like me. 
We're not there. Well, he can do some things if he wanted to. But George, I don't even try because, you know, like I could come over here. Hey, let's sing together, folks. You're like, okay, George, go back to preaching. Okay, so that's not me. You understand that? I don't have anything to do with the music, so that means I don't pick the songs. Now, I have to record the songs because of our license to put things up on a screen. That's what I was doing with my phone. I had to put right down the list. I got to go on a computer and report it. That's about the extent of what I do with music here. So, okay, so we're singing the songs, and they selected the song right before the message, Same Power. And I was like, that's you, God. That's you, because that's the next point. That's the next thing that he desires. Not just to know Jesus, he knows, we're going to talk about it here in a moment, the power of his resurrection. What in the world is that? We just sang about it. Okay, I'm getting ahead of my message. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. If you had no expectation showing up here that God was going to do anything, you would have thought, oh, isn't that a nice coincidence? I think it's better when Brad sings it or Brian does a better job. I mean, that's the kind of thoughts we have, right? He wanted a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, you got to ask yourself that question. Do you? Are you at the place in your Christianity where you want to interact with Jesus on a daily basis? Or is it just simply attending a church? For Paul, he was motivated by one thing, knowing Jesus. That's what he wanted. Because I'm going to be honest with you, if it's just simply attended church, folks, there are a whole lot of other better things that we could be doing on Saturday morning. It's whether or not you believe you're showing up to meet God. Here's the other thing he desired, because this, this, this will blow your mind. He wanted to personally experience the power of God in his life. He wanted to personally experience the power of God in his life. Look at what he says. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What is that? The power of his resurrection. He wanted to know intimately the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, here's what we know from the New Testament. The one who raised Jesus from the dead is the Holy Spirit. And he wanted not just to have an intimate relationship with God on a daily basis, with Jesus. He wanted to have an intimate relationship with the same one who raised Jesus from the dead. That is who? The Holy Spirit. And listen to this. If you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives you strength each day. He gives you wisdom. He gives you guidance. He gives you comfort. In fact, that's what he's called in John. What? The Comforter. In fact, the word parakletos there that's translated comforter is one who comes alongside of. How many times have you wished that somebody could just give you a hug when you're going through something? And even those who give you a hug, they don't really understand, right? He wanted to know Jesus intimately. He wanted to know the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Now, when I say the power of the Holy Spirit, again, you're thinking about weird, funky, crazy stuff, and I've seen it. That's not what I'm talking about. 
In fact, I would say that's a ploy of the enemy to keep you away from what's true, and that is the power of God working in your life daily. And you should desire that. You should want that. That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted. That's the third thing he says there, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Here's the one we have a stumbling block over. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Ooh. First two sound really good, George. I don't know about that third one. Because I really, I mean, if you're like me, I don't like problems. And you want me to join in his sufferings? What in the world are you talking about there? Well, here's what I want you to see. Here's what he's meaning here. He wanted to suffer for the sake of others as Jesus did. That's a different perspective, right? He knew that as he intimately knew Jesus... And he also intimately knew the power of his resurrection, which is the Holy Spirit. He wanted to have fellowship with Jesus in the suffering that comes from, what? Being there for other people. I think you know what I'm talking about. You ever, ever had somebody come up to you and say, hey, how you doing, Bill? Oh, it's terrible. You won't believe what's going on. And in your mind, as you're listening to Bill, you're going, oh, God, I don't need this today. You don't know what's going on. Because we know whenever we enter into somebody's pain, you share in that pain, right? Do you understand? Whenever you enter into somebody's problem, you enter into their problem. And a lot of us, we don't want to have anything to do with that. Paul's saying, I desire not just to know intimately Jesus. I desire not just to intimately know the power of that resurrection, the Holy Spirit's power. I desire to share in the sufferings that you did, Jesus, and that you entered into what? Our pain. Does everybody understand that Jesus identified himself with our pain? It's talking about that you desire to suffer for the sake of others. To be there for them when they go through it. And I'm going to be honest with you. That's a different type of blessing that many of us won't even try to understand. Of being there for somebody else in the midst of what they're going through and being a support for them. That's what he wanted. That's what Christianity is supposed to be about, folks. That's what he wanted. He wanted to suffer for the sake of others, to share with Jesus in that. Because here's the fourth port. He understood that the desire is fulfilled when he died to his selfishness. See, here's the thing. When you look at that desire, I want to know Jesus. I want to know his, the power that raised him from the dead, which is the Holy Spirit. I want to share in his suffer. When you realize that the only way to truly understand that desire in your life is that you have to desire to what, you have to die to what you want to your selfishness. Because I'm going to be honest with you, it's your selfishness that keeps you away from those three things. It's your selfishness that keeps you from knowing those three things, isn't it? Remember, I already expressed it. How's your day been? Oh, it's terrible. I don't need this, Jesus. What's that? Selfishness. Selfishness. 
and you've listened to a lie that says, don't enter into it. It's just nothing but problems. Nothing but problems. Hey, stop for a moment. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't have that attitude when he reached out and touched you? Because let's be honest, we're a mess, right? Look to your neighbor and say right now, I'm a mess. Don't say you're a mess. I'm a mess. They're a mess too, but you can't tell them that, okay? You're having fun with that. That's okay. But aren't you glad? Jesus laid aside what? Laid aside his selfishness for us, right? That's what we're talking about. He understood that, that this desire to be fulfilled, he had to die to his own selfishness. Isn't that what he says there? Verse 10, being conformed to his death. That's what it talks about, being conformed to the death of Christ, is that you die to your selfish desires. See, listen, I'm telling you, if you change your perspective, you're going to easily get off of the surface with boring Christianity and you're going to get deeper into a relationship with Jesus because you want it. And you want to know the power of his spirit working in your life. And you want to share with others in their suffering as you share with Christ because you're there to help them. Why? Because you're dying to your selfishness. You ever been in a church where it's filled with a bunch of selfish people? Seen where that's like? I've been there. It's not good, is it? Now, stop for a moment. We're in a church filled with selfish people. It's just not openly expressed. I hope it never is. Because hopefully we're trying to get it under what? Control, because we're seeking after Christ. See, if you understand that, you're going to move off the surface into a deeper relationship with him. Now, why do we do this? What is the purpose for this desire? Well, he tells us in verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, that's an interesting statement there. Wait a minute, George. I thought when you die, you get the resurrection from the dead. You're going to be a part of the resurrection. Isn't that what Paul's talking about before in other letters? Why is he saying that? Listen, folks, he's not saying it's going to bring his resurrection He's actually talking about the hope here. What's he saying? Number one, he's saying Paul understood what lies ahead for all believers. He understood what lies ahead for us. He understood what lies ahead for us is the resurrection. Resurrection to what? Life. Paradise. See, that's what motivated him. Here, I'm going to explain something to you. That's why I think people are leaving the church. We've lost perspective. We're so focused on now and our selfishness and our selfish desires of what we want, selfishness, that we've lost complete perspective that we are eternal beings, that we're going to live forever, and that there's something beyond this life. And if God gives you more than 70 years, wonderful, but at some point you're going to die. Have you noticed that? People die and that there's something more than that here. And what he understands is what motivates him is because he's not living just for now, he's living for what? Later. And that's where he's wanting to have that desire. Why to know Jesus and his power? Because I'm going to be with him forever. I better start knowing him now. He understood what lies ahead of him. I think for a lot of us, we've forgotten what lies ahead of us. We only know about next. Some of us, we're so busy and wrapped up in our stuff, we don't even know about next week. We don't even know about the next hour. 
except maybe the game's on. And hopefully the cable doesn't mess up. Paul understood what lies before all believers. And here's the second thing. He was committed to finishing the race to the final resurrection. He was committed. In fact, if you go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says this. This is how committed he was. He says at the end, he knows he's facing the executioner's axe or sword. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the what? The race. That's what was motivating him. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. If your only motivation for being here today is because your mama told you to be here, after a while, that's going to wane. If your only motivation is because this is where my family's gone for years and I should be here, after a while, that's going to wane. If your only motivation is because that's what a good Christian should do, I'm going to be honest with you, it's going to wane as well. None of that will motivate you to do anything. None of that. In fact, it's already expressed in our lives, right? Because if we had something better to do today, we would be there, right? In fact, if that's what's motivating me, the only reason I'm here is because I'm drawing a paycheck, right? And if there was a better reason for being here, I probably wouldn't be here either if that was my motivation. But thankfully, that's not what my motivation is. My motivation is because I want you to know him like I know him. See, here's the thing. You gotta ask yourself, what's motivating you? Why are you here? Is it because you want to know him intimately? And that by knowing him intimately, it affects the rest of your life, not just because you're here, but because you're seeking after him, what, in other ways of your life? Isn't that what he says in chapter 11, verse 6? That you have to, if you believe God, you have to believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. God's not going to show up in your life and do something unless He knows that you want Him. Do you understand what I'm saying? He has to be pursued. Are you willing to pursue Him? Are you willing to pursue God? That's the issue. So you say, okay, George, what do we do with this? Well, here's two thoughts. Number one, Recognize this, that something is motivating your Christian life. The question is what? Is it family tradition? Is it intellectual pursuit? Is it somebody else motivated you to be here? Something is motivating you. you got to ask yourself that question. And the question is, is, is going to really, really reveal where you're really at. Because if it's something else other than your own desire to know Jesus, there's a problem. There's a problem. Here's the second thing. Are you satisfied, are you satisfied with simply knowing about Jesus? Are you satisfied with simply 
knowing about Jesus. Because I want to be honest with you, for a lot of you, it's simply just knowing about him. Are you satisfied with that? Because I'm going to be honest with you, just simply knowing him isn't going to bring any true satisfaction to your soul. It's not truly going to bring any satisfaction to your life. You've got to make a a, a change there because you've got to desire to want to know him more intimately. That's going to bring the satisfaction. That's going to bring the motivation. That's what's going to carry you through your difficulty. Have you noticed that you could know a whole lot of Bible questions and answers to those Bible questions, but when you're going through it, they don't bring you any kind of peace when you're going through your struggle? I mean, think about it. It's kind of like this. You know, man, it's just really rough right now. How are you getting through it? Well, I've just been processing that formula, 2 plus 2 equals 4. I find great comfort in that knowledge. You say, that's ridiculous, George. That doesn't bring you any comfort. Hey, okay. The doctrine of God. God is a spirit. I find great comfort in that. Some abstract fact. That's not what we're talking about. You're not going to find any comfort in that. But knowing him intimately and seeing that he works in your life and that he answers your prayers. Listen, I want to tell you, I want to tell you something that happened in my life just here in the last couple of weeks. I won't tell you the specific situation, but I'm just going to talk about it in a general sense. The other day I was walking by and something was really frustrating me. I mean, I have been frustrated. Some of the trustees know this. I have been frustrated about this issue for a long time, for years. And it just seems to be getting worse. And I said to the Lord, just in and off, I wasn't even praying. I was just kind of talking. You ever done like that? You're just kind of mumbling and you're not really talking. You're just mumbling. And I was just kind of like mumbling, God, if you could just take care of this, if you could just do something to eliminate this problem, then everything would be okay. Within a week, he did. And it's okay. In fact, when I got news that something happened there, I, I was immediately, my mind went to, that wasn't a real prayer, Lord. I was just mumbling. And you took care of that. You think that changed me as far as my mumbling? Think that changed me as far as realizing that God's with me and hearing me? You think he knew what was bothering me? This is what I'm telling you about. You think I want to know him more now? You better believe it, I do. You think I want to know that power? Yes. You think I'm praying differently now? Oh, yeah. I'm letting him know. I'm mumbling a whole lot more now. This is what I'm talking about. I don't need to have some crazy wild experience, fall on the ground, to have something crazy to understand that my God's alive. I just need to be aware of what he's already doing. That's enough to get me excited. It's time to get off the surface, folks, and get beneath it. The question is, is is that what you want? Let me pray for you.